0: welcome to empower humans welcome again to the empower humans podcast this is episode 66 we have michael levitt who has a website called breakfastleadership.com and a book called 369 days how to survive a year of worst case scenarios we got into all kinds of stuff here he has an incredible story set of stories and uh, this 369 days which is essentially a year he went through a whole bunch of changes lost his health job car home all these things spoiler alert but a lot of lessons came out of that a lot of transitional things in his life Uh, so we'll get back to that in a second I just want to remind you our audience as always you are absolutely priceless and that's part of what we're talking about here today we got to put that priceless state in the forefront. Yes, you have other folks depending on you. Yes, you maybe have a job and a family and various other things of some sort, Uh, roommates expecting to pay the rent or whatever the case we're all in a different little bit different situation but whatever the case is you are priceless you need to take care of you first Uh, as as counterintuitive as that may sound to many of us people pleasers and so on is how are you going to be able to take care of anybody Uh, which is one of the reasons in his case the michael's case that he lost his health a lot of people do uh, as well uh also eating habits and so on you are priceless the riches are found in you don't ever forget that it's worth taking control of our lives uh this day that you're listening to this or any other day you never get to redo it so let's try to maximize these 24 hours that we each get uh in these days and uh balance things out so that we're not getting what he, what he refers to a lot as burnout we talk a lot about burnout what that means and how to avoid it and how to balance our lives And the other thing i like to remind you, aside from that you're priceless, is you're never alone. And I say that with emphasis. I want people to realize that. I know people go through various different kinds of states of maybe desperation or feeling alone. But feeling alone, by the way, is a delusion. It's a deception of sorts. And we need to kind of recenter ourselves to understand that we are not alone. And so many people are going through all these various things, yet... Partially because of this, especially the social media age we live in, we hide things. We keep things to ourselves. And people go to therapy, but people don't talk too much about it. Or people are going through a marital issue or a health issue or another family issue of some sort or, you know, health with their own parents and having to take care of various things there. So just realize that you are not alone. You go start, I don't recommend anyone do this, but if we were to go and start knocking door to door to door in our neighborhood or apartments or whatever it is, uh, you start to realize, boy, everyone's got a story, people are going through things, people have come out of things, somebody's in prison, somebody's come out of various uh, difficult situations. You are priceless and you're never alone. Don't forget that. I could go on and on and on and on. You hear me long-winded sometimes. I just want you to know that. And as you get into this interview, just realize that I can tell with Michael that he's a very sincere, It uh, comes from a place of real love and understanding and perspective now that he's been through his share of some real, real serious, difficult life experiences. And so I think that he can uh, shed some light for all of us on some things that we can do to better balance and find satisfaction in our own lives. And so enjoy our interview. And by the way, remind you real quick of our challenges. Number one, study, keep studying, read, listen to audiobooks, None of us have excuses. We have access to so many things these days. If you're listening to a podcast, you have access to, even just on YouTube, there's free audiobooks, which YouTube is essentially free. And various other places you can get audiobooks. You go to your library, you've got Hoopla Digital, uh, a great app that I use. It plugs into a lot of local library systems. So study, keep that's, that's one of the ways you're going to keep your mind sharp. There's ways to multitask with that where you're commuting to work or whatever. Listen to books. Uh, Make great moments with your loved ones. That's our second challenge. Uh, Make great moments with uh, co-workers and things too, but just make great moments with your lives so that we have something to look back on these pillars in our lives to maybe overshadow some of the other things that don't always go perfectly and uh, some of the maybe regrets even that we might have. Uh, But that's natural too and we can't beat ourselves up. Make great moments and balance our lives that way. And the last challenge, as always, let's keep doing this podcast together. I can't say enough for Michael Levitt and all the things that he contributes here. So without further ado, enjoy this interview with the one and only uh, head of Breakfast Leadership and uh, the book, 369 Days, How to Survive a Year of Worst-Case Scenarios, one and only Michael Levitt. Here we go. We're privileged to be here today with uh, Michael Levitt, who, uh, breakfastleadership.com, also author of the book, 369 Days, How to Survive a Year of Worst-Case Scenarios, and uh, let's talk about that. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm
1: great, Phil. Great to be with you today.
0: Now, you are are you in Canada, by the way?
1: I am. I'm originally from the U.S. and immigrated to Canada uh, back in 2004, Oh, uh, so I've been here for 15 years. Wow. Uh, and... Dual citizens, so I like to joke I can vote and screw up two countries, but that's where I stop. I don't get into any political conversations. Yeah. You never know whose whose side is on what side. I'm on everybody's side, so it doesn't matter. But, um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm I'm actually in a, a very cloudy Toronto, Ontario at the moment.
0: Ah, yes. Well, it's that time of year too. But uh, a yeah. big big hockey hockey fan too, or <laughs>
1: that's. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Detroit, so grew up with the Red Wings, and which means I cannot root for the Toronto Maple Leafs, no matter how hard people try to get me to. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I just can't. It's it's against my DNA and my my soul to live. Uh, I just yeah. can't do it. I what, do. I want them to be successful, of course. You know, you want you like seeing organizations that have struggled for a long time turn the corner and and be good. But you know, I don't necessarily want them to win the whole thing but if they do you know my my life of course will go on you know and, and as will you know many others so yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah yeah i enjoy hockey i tend to be more of a baseball fan than anything um yeah you know, i love i love baseball that's uh, you know my favorite sport and you know it's just one of those things where i, I really enjoy it's a long season and believe me it, all it takes is a couple things here and there and can mean the difference between you know, winning everything or getting eliminated in the first round—you can ask the Los Angeles Dodgers about that. And, um, it's you know, you know, incredible record all season, and yeah. you know, they were done within a couple of weeks, so it's it happens. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge sports fan. But yeah, up in Canada, you know, it's you know, hockey. Hockey is definitely <laughs> a, a big uh, focal point. Although our you know basketball team in Toronto won the title last year, so
0: yeah, that's, um, right. that's
1: Getting that's getting on the radar too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say NBA is uh, top notch going uh, this year, especially won the won the championship. So, well, and our listeners were like, well, we're talking about all this sports. Well, and and by the way, you <laughs> must you must already be used to terrible weather, having come from Detroit. So I guess it's uh, just up the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: I mean, the, the the weather is not dramatically different uh, in Toronto than it was. Yeah, back home in Motown, you know, I I keep you know, telling myself. I have to get to you know the southwestern part of the United States. I that they don't get as much snow, if any, unless you go up in the mountains. But no, no. That, so be it. You yeah, but yeah, that's that, that's a bucket list item for me too. But yeah. that's another story for another day.
0: Yeah, that's where I am. I'm in Las Vegas. Uh, but anyway, we won't make you feel bad. I just now speaking of the whole Detroit thing. Tell me a little about your story, uh, wherever you want to start, uh, and I don't know if the story takes place in Detroit, but this 369 days, this whole thing's kind of fascinating to me, but tell in your own words, what what, what happened here?
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, back in, uh, we'll start 2007, as I, as I alluded to before, I moved to Canada in 2004, mm-hmm. but I was still working in the Detroit area at the time, so I was crossing the border every day. Uh, but finally in 2007 I was able to uh, land a role with a, a startup medical organization just outside of Windsor Ontario which is uh, across the border from Detroit
2: mm-hmm. so
1: I was working and living in Canada and it was a startup organization and for for those that have ever had the the pleasure of working for a startup there's a lot of time and effort that is required uh, to get a business up and running uh, a lot of you know, meeting with people, coordination, mm-hmm. hiring yeah. a staff, supplies, you name it. All of these things. And I was doing it because I was hired as, as the leader of this organization. And after a period of a couple years of just constantly at this startup pace, just you know, not letting up and not taking a break, mm-hmm. um, you know, the kickoff of my 369 days happened. During this whole time, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was working long hours, I was checking emails from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week, um, not eating properly, not exercising at all, uh, and just you know really abusing myself mm. uh, both physically and mentally and even spiritually, you know I just was completely checked out and not not in touch with, uh, with anything and, mm. and forgot, and quite frankly, forgot how to relax. I could not relax. I was so wound. And unfortunately, or as I like to say now, fortunately,
2: yeah.
1: uh, my 369 days kicked off. And it started off with uh, having a heart attack. Uh, I had two blockages in my left anterior descending artery. And for those that are familiar with cardiology and heart terms, they, they have a nickname for that artery and they call it the widowmaker because yeah, typically... Yeah when people have any type of heart attack or blockage of any significance in that artery, um, they don't survive.
2: Mm.
1: Thankfully I did. Yeah, I you know, caught it and I got two stents as a, uh, a take home present from the hospital and started on, on my journey. And I was 40 years old at the time and it's fairly early to have a heart attack. You hear about people having them you know, later on in life um, and now you know even today we're starting to see more and more people having heart attacks at much earlier ages and there's a lot of commonalities in my story with you know, the people that are having them yeah uh, but you know, proper or improper diet and not enough exercise uh, not being able to manage their stress properly and everything else so yeah. here I am I had a heart attack and um, Thankfully, I had short-term disability through my employer, so I had 17 weeks to recover. Now, when I got back, uh, the organization wanted to go in a different direction, and they let me go. So here I am, a few months after a heart attack, and now I don't have a job.
2: Now, a nice. reminder,
1: I was in Windsor, Ontario area, which was across the border from Detroit, Michigan. Right. 2008, 2009, we all remember that was that little economic recession that we had yeah. with the government basically saving the auto sector from going completely out of business. Mortgages, people were losing their homes, right. job losses. It was just, it was a disaster. Yep. Not the best time to be needing to look for a new job in an area that there really wasn't a whole lot of jobs to be had. Mm-hmm. So it took me almost a year to find a new role. And thankfully, I did find one, but it did require relocating to Toronto. Um, so, leaving an area with roughly 300,000 people in it and going to the greater Toronto area that has north of 7 million people. Um, so, a slight difference of uh, travel times as far as getting to and from work when you, you deal with something like that. Yeah. So, in this, so. You know, rewind a little bit. So you had a hard set. I had a job loss, was spending a ton of time looking for a job, finally found one
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, relocated to Toronto. Uh, and while I was up here working, uh, my family was still back in the Windsor area and we were you know, getting things prepped to sell our house and doing some things. And one of the challenges you have uh, when you're unemployed and you don't have drug insurance, and you've been recently prescribed a ton of heart medication because, well, you're a cardiac patient now, and you need to take heart medication to keep you alive. Yeah, you know, th- those medications weren't cheap; um, they were costing close to a thousand dollars a month. Now, unemployment doesn't pay a whole lot. So when you factor in, okay, I need the drugs to stay alive and probably should eat some food occasionally. Yeah. That tends to get the bills <laughs> a little tight as far as being able to cover other things. And yeah. Thankfully, you know, after I'd been laid laid off, I had negotiated and things with all of our debtors, you know, the the mortgage company, the auto loan place, and anybody else that we you know we were owing any money just to explain the situation. Mm -hmm. And you know, they were very graceful and you know they they gave us a lot of time uh, to be able to do things, but quite frankly we ran out of time. And while I was working up in Toronto I got a phone call from my oldest daughter and she had indicated after I could calm her down to be able to understand her that the bank had come and repossessed the family vehicle.
0: Oh goodness! So,
1: so here we are. That at that point, that was about ten months into this three hundred sixty nine days. So heart attack, job loss, car repossession. Yep. Now, so it's
0: not over yet. So
1: far, <laughs> not over yet. Now we still got one more to go. Oh goodness! Uh, so after that, you know, thankfully we had two vehicles at the time, and I had the second vehicle up in Toronto to be able to commute and do whatnot. So we were one vehicle family at that particular point, Mm -hmm. and we were getting the house ready for sale, and then finally we found uh, a place to rent in Toronto. So we scheduled a move in in early May of 2010, Mm -hmm. moved everything up, and after we were unpacking and everything, we realized that we had left the bunk bed ladders for our daughter's bunk bed, at the old house. Now, I was going to visit my brother outside of Detroit that following week. So I said, well, I'll go back there. I'll get the bunk bed ladder and I'll look around the house again and see if there's anything else that we may have left behind that we, we're we not missing right now. You know, because it's a little bit easier to look around the house when it's empty and see if there's anything that's that's there. So yeah, visited my brother and then swung by the house to go get the, the ladder and when I opened up the front screen door, saw the largest padlock I've ever seen in my life. You, I've never seen this padlock for sale anywhere, wow. um, at Home Depot or any other store. Goodness! And you know, a, a small note that was on the door that said, "You know, basically, house is in foreclosure." Mm. And I'm like, "Oh, now what's funny is I never received any notifications from the bank that this was about to happen." Yeah. Because normally, you get all the nasty grams in the mail, yep. and phone calls and everything else
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but we didn't now, I'm not sure what happened there. I don't know why i never I never called the bank and asked them, you know you know why didn't we know anything uh, because i I knew like, when you when you can't make a mortgage payment, um the bank reserves the right to take the house back, and they exercise that right. Mm. But it, it was funny in my book, you know, I talk about at that moment, uh, was probably one of the greatest amounts of peace that I ever felt in my life Wow! when I saw that padlock and that note, because I had realized that I had been through so much in the last year and, but I was standing there one alive, two healthier, had a place to live, had a vehicle, had a job. Yeah, you know, and my, yeah. and, and my, my kids were healthy and getting adjusted to a, a new way of living. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, okay, all right. <laughs> and so this is it. Great. So we closed the screen door and called home and said, well, I'm not going to get the bunk bed ladder because we can't get into the house. And then contacted the real estate agent because they were actually going to be listing the house that following week. Mm-hmm. Cause it was ready to go. It was empty and, you know, we had, um, made some renovations to the house while I was off of work and was ready to go. So from a bank standpoint uh, the turnaround time to be able to sell that house uh, was pretty short I'm sure because there was really nothing that they needed to do to the house it was move in ready and you know, it was you know, well taken care of so it was, because uh, I know in some foreclosures those houses are not in great shape and it takes a lot of time to get them ready for the market Yeah, uh, but that, was, that wasn't the case for, for that house. That house was ready to go and uh, so whoever moved into it uh, I hope it's serving them well mm. but it was when you go through something like that you have three choices number 1 i could have chose to blame everybody for all the things that happened to me the banks for taking away the car and the house my former employers for firing me for the fast food companies that kept feeding me instead of telling me, no, you know, you should eat something with a little bit more nutrition than this. <laughs> I could easily blame those people All or right. people or for people not telling me, um, you know, not to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have had a second choice of, wow, even though Batman is my favorite comic book character, I feel more like Superman right now because, I must be invincible. All those things happen and here I am standing Mm -hmm. and things are great Mm -hmm. and not make any changes at all and say, well, I'm Superman. I don't have to do anything. I could have gone that path or the path I did choose was I don't ever want to go see that again and I need to dramatically change how I approach life and that was a very easy statement to say which was backed by a lot of work, uh, a lot of reinvention work, a lot of soul searching, a lot of understanding, a lot of research, studying why I made the choices I made, what what was I doing, you know, why was it so important for me to work all those hours? What was I trying to
2: prove? Yeah, yeah.
1: What was I trying to accomplish? Um, what what was the ingredients and in all of that? And it took time, it took a few years, uh, to get my head wrapped around all of it, but then I did, and I made the changes, and continue to make changes. because okay, so we continue to evolve and grow as, as humans. And, yeah. and you know the thing of it is, well, after doing it, and life was good again. Actually, it was better. I should say, and my life has never been better mm-hmm. you know, since that. Looking around me. And ironically, at the time uh, that I was doing all the reinvention, I went back into the healthcare sector. So I was seeing a lot of my counterparts in that sector doing the same things that I was doing before my heart attack. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, this is not good. You need to make a different choice here. You can't do. And it was like talking to a wall. I wasn't getting in. I'm like, okay. So this is what it must have been like to talk to me prior to my heart attack because in talking with people everyone said we all knew you were burned out you were the last person to figure it out (laughs) and I was Mm. I I was extremely burned out Uh, and when your body is in that type of state things start to falter because your body is trying to fix things and it's taking the energy that it needs to do other things your body needs to focus on all this chronic stress And it's, you know, the studies that I've done, you know, it's, it's funny, chronic stress and burnout, um, can lead to the same type of experiences and lead you to having one depression and also dementia, prolonged chronic stress and burnout. You can end up with dementia later on in life. Now there's, you know, other things and external factors too, that, you know, people that have dementia. That weren't burned out and didn't have stress, but they did it. But it's it's funny how the damage the brain is experiencing when you're in chronic stress and burnout can lead to the same impact of having dementia as if you know you didn't have burnout. So it's like okay, that's that's alarming. Yeah, and there's more research going into that. But at the end of the day, for me, I. It was an awakening saying, okay, burnout is a problem. And I need to start researching more and more about this so I can start talking with people about it. And one, prevent it from happening again for me. And more importantly to me is to help people avoid it at all costs because yeah. it can be avoided.
0: Yeah. You know, I thank you for telling that story. And, uh, I think a lot of people can re- relate in various ways, whether they've had a heart attack or not or lost a home. But people experience losses and in life. A lot of times, you know, in our shortish lives that we've lived so far, it's still, you observe that a lot of times when it rains, it pours kind of thing. And uh, as such was the case here during these 369 days, which is essentially a full earth year. <laughs> and uh, so I have a couple of questions about this you talk about getting to that padlock moment and then experiencing peace. I think a lot of people include myself included, at least kind of scratch our heads Like, well, why did he feel so much peace? But I've heard that from people in those kinds of situations. I've had, you know, some of my own situations too, but uh, why is it that you got to such a place of peace where I, I maybe it has to do with these three options you had, but uh, tell me more about that. How do we get to such a peaceful place after being through so much?
1: I, I think for me, I had, Associated the the home repossession as you know the final episode
2: mm-hmm. of
1: what I had gone through because there was you know, in my mind at that point there was nothing else you know, short of me losing my life um, yeah. or you know tra- tragic you know loss of life of a loved one or something like that um, there was nothing else that could happen yeah you know, everything else had been more or less I hate saying it this way, but you know, taken away from me uh, is one way to look at it. You know, my job was taken away from me. Uh, income, my, my health, you know, my car, my house, uh, all of those things were taken from me. Uh, but I was the common denominator in all of those things. Yeah. And I, had, I had a role to play in that. If I had made better choices earlier on in life, some of those things could have been avoided. Um, and for me, I, I think the healing that I had, because that was, you know, roughly, you know, obviously it was a year and a couple of days after my heart attack. It was one of those moments where I realized okay, one, resilience is a beautiful thing that you can get through things like this. And I knew that, okay, now that this is done, you know, what else is there? And it was funny because. It was a very brief moment but it's amazing what the brain can do as far as you know thinking through things in a rapid fashion because yeah. it literally felt like i was going through a saying, "Okay, is there anything else that can happen <laughs> and nothing came to mind
0: wow that's and, kind of that's a freeing experience uh it sounds like and sorry to cut you off i just i, I interject here because it's uh Sometimes these things that we that we delusionally bond ourselves to, like a house uh, or a job or whatever the case might be, uh, and then when they're gone, you realize that didn't really matter. <laughs> it sounds like it was a freeing burden off of you, and kind of, like you say, the last episode of this particular chapter, so to speak. I am um, just curious too because you mentioned your family. How did your family cope? How many kids do you have, and stuff? How did that side of things? Handle this.
1: You know, three children and at the time of this, they were ten, seven, and six. Wow. So they were still relatively young. Yep. So I, 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 to you know relocate to you know a huge new city, um, I'm sure was you know traumatic for them. But mm-hmm. at that age. There's still you know, kids can still be resilient, and because you know, a lot of times when you hear people say if they've got a teenager that's you know 15 or 16, mm-hmm. they'll hold off on promotions and moving because it would be sometimes quite catastrophic for that teenager to be able to go through something like that. Mm-hmm. And thankfully for for this experience, you know they were young enough where you know they didn't have any difficulty in meeting new friends and getting acclimated to the way. Things were so. Um, as far as how they handled it, I think it was again with their youth. It was it was challenging. I think because they weren't quite sure what this all meant, um, and the experiences of it. You know, that's the one thing that. That my spouse and I did our best to do um, was mm-hmm. not hide things from the kids as far as what was going on and talk with them in a way that we hoped that they could comprehend what was going on yeah but we didn't want that we didn't want the kids to feel guilty for wanting something or asking for something you know like a, as simple as an ice cream cone or things like that we, we, we did our best to be able to continue to do things that we we like to do of course within reason because of the increased cost of everything and you know the how hard drugs and everything else um, but they were pretty resilient um, and I think it's something that you know impressed me uh, about yeah. it and it made it easier to go through all of the healing and the uh, the, the therapy and everything else that I had to go through afterwards uh, just to Get my head wrapped around you know what had transpired. Yeah, uh, both physical and mental therapy, of course, uh, because it's like okay, well, you didn't exercise before, now you're going to, and. You know, that's here, here's a treadmill, no, this is not a place to hang your coats and your mm-hmm. clothes to dry. This is something you actually <laughs> walk and run on. Uh, most people don't. I know that might be a spoiler for people. I'm sorry uh, that I spoiled something for you. Yeah, treadmills are meant to be ran and walked upon, not for hanging your clothes. But, um, <laughs> hopefully hopefully that didn't shock anybody, uh, but yeah. uh, that, that's what they're
0: for. Well, it's a... It's an expensive uh, item to hang clothes on. Anyway, you get something else for that. Uh, and exactly. And, now, uh, and these kinds of things, I, I've noticed, tend to have strong outcomes one direction or, or another. And you talk about choices earlier, and both in how we look at it, our mindset, and then how we you know, physically and emotionally respond to these situations, which is up to us, as you pointed out. Oftentimes, these situations seem like can tear families apart. On the one hand, and especially marriages, or on the other hand, bring families and relationships and with your kids and everything that much closer together. Do you feel like that's what happened? Everyone's closer oh, now.
1: God. Well, I, I my, I, you know, this is something that I didn't write about because it, it, it transpired after it, but uh, unfortunately, in my marriage, did, and um, with with my spouse. Oh, and it. <sighs> There was long there was issues there long before uh, yeah. the cardiac event and things like that, um, and it's one of those things where I you know look at it and I go okay was that something that made the straw you know break or something like that? But I think a lot of it had to do with you know afterwards when you reinvent yourself and you change yeah. you may not be the same person and I wasn't yeah. and. Um, I, I wasn't the same person that, that she married now and neither was she, you know, she had a medical procedure done that was uh, life altering, um, as well without going into you know too many details on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that changed her as well. And, uh, it just, there's, you know, all kinds of dynamics that, you know, wouldn't be fair for me to. Go into on this just because it's something that you know the two of us really haven't talked about in great detail, and definitely not with our with our kids. And it's you know to be fair to them, I'd much rather talk with you know my kids uh, about those situations later on when you know they're a little bit older. They're obviously older now, but yeah, you know it's one of those things where um, I I don't want to say that the 369 days tore it apart. But I think there was an element of things that set in motion, you know, for the end of that relationship. Yeah, uh, and it's and it's something too that you know I you know I look back on and go, okay, what could there have been anything different? But again, there was other circumstances involved that you know, were taking place, you know, throughout you know the whole the whole time that we were together. That I think eventually could have you know come to a head. I don't yeah. know. It's it's one of those things, you know, ifs and buts and candies and nuts and Christmas all year long, that kind of thing. It's it's one of those things where I go, I don't, I don't know how that would have played out, but because from my perspective, now who I am, compared to who I was a decade ago when all of this took place, I see things differently. Yeah, So I don't see things the same way that I did then. So I don't, it's hard for me to say, yeah, this is what, this would have happened if. I, I, I can't say that I would know that because... Yeah. And my, my philosophy and outlook on life and how I approach life and the way I make decisions is you know, dramatically different than what it was prior to my year of worst case scenarios.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're definitely not alone in that particular outcome. You know, I for one have gone through that, and also you know my parents and lots and lots of folks. It's just, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just there's various dynamics that take place, and there's some you know things that might be common threads from one marriage to another too. But, uh, it's, it's definitely, I guess the bottom line is no negative reflection on those involved. Uh, and you know, to each their own, but I think a lot of people can, can relate again, both to all the other stuff you went through. And now this you're explaining, I appreciate you opening up a, a little bit on all of that. Um, no, my, no,
1: my pleasure. You know, there, I know that they're, you know, There was some positives from it because I know my attorney that I used to help me through um, the separation and the divorce stuff and all that uh, bought a new BMW. I don't think there was a correlation between what I was paying her and her being able to buy the new BMW, but I found it kind of ironic that the timing (laughs) happened at that time. and. Uh-huh. If, I know she listens to a lot of my interviews, so I'm probably going to get a text message after this <laughs> one goes live. But that's okay. She'll she'll explain to me in about eighteen thousand paragraphs. Um, no, i how it wasn't. Uh, just just don't film <laughs> me, okay? Yeah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We
0: just hope, ironically, maybe she's listening in her BMW. Uh, <laughs> it's the, possible. The I,
1: I know she. Yeah, she might be. I. <laughs> you know,
0: I'll
1: have to ask her. We're just next, we're just next time
0: teasing. No, we're just yeah, teasing if you are listening. And I, and now at the same time, and I don't mean to shift gears here because now you've gone through all this and you get, has some learning experiences, some weights lifted, some eye opening moments, and now some changes you, that you've chosen to make. Now, how do we get to, from there to where we are now? And you've, you've, you started this breakfast leadership and you can tell me more about that in the book. Uh, how, how do we transition to these next uh, chapters? Let's say.
1: Well, I, after, you know, I, I discovered you know, and reinvented myself, you know, a lot of people were going through similar things to me that I needed to do something about it. And I wasn't sure what. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, I started you know, researching, reading a lot of blogs, started writing about the subject a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in writing 369 days, that book initially was more of a, I need to write this for me. yeah. And it had been several years since I had because I started writing because like, I published it in um two thousand that would have been two thousand seventeen. My math is correct. Mm-hmm. Um so I started writing it at the end of twenty sixteen. So that was you know, six years after things. You that was a, a significant period of time. Yeah, and I you know, I didn't really think much about things, you know, although I, you know, at the time when I was, you know, still on some heart medication, um, you know, get a daily reminder that, you know, I had a heart attack because of this medication that I was taking and that's like, okay, that was my reminder, but I didn't, I didn't dwell on it. I go, oh, woe is me, you know, here I am taking my cover. So no, that wasn't it. Um, it was a case of, I moved on from it, but And looking at it and talking with people a little bit about the situation, I realized that I really didn't take the time to, I don't want to say mourn from the situation, but experience it from a different perspective than I did before. And so experiencing it when I was going through it, go back and look at it. And the reason why I felt it would be good to write about it was it would give me that opportunity to take a look at it, reflect on it, write about it in such a way that uh, would allow me to provide any closure to things that may have been open. And there were a couple of things in there that, that were, um, but you know, there were some things that I you know, really hadn't thought about in years and you know, it came up uh, and you know, the, the in writing the book, the only time that I ever got really emotional in the writing of it mm-hmm. was the car, the car repossession component. That was the only one. And the reason being was, and all those other things that had happened, I was away from my family when that happened. I was in Toronto and they were four hours away. Oh, and I couldn't do it. Yeah. I couldn't do anything about it. Right. You know, there they were, seeing the tow truck tow the, the vehicle away. Yeah. Um, and that, that bugged me. You know, That really bothered me at the time. So it was, it was one of those things where like, wow. And I never, you know, when it was happening, you know, I was in, actually, I was at, at work and I was in a directors meeting, and had excused myself for this call, and then had to go back in the exact in you know, the directors meeting. So I had to you know, more or less, compose myself and get back in the meeting, uh, and I did. So I never really you know felt any emotions about that particular event until several years later. Um, but after, so after I wrote the book, and I'm like, okay, let me get this published, and and, and started speaking about it, uh, and writing more, and doing my own podcast show, and all these other things that I'm doing, it, it came to mind that you know there's just a lot of people that are going through some significant stress and burnout, and it's impacting their lives, their families' lives, their yeah. work, everything about them. And reflecting back on what happened to me, I don't want anybody to ever experience anything like that. It's a horrible year. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, I, In my book, there's humor in there. There's, there I, I joke about some things, and that's mm-hmm. just kind of the nature of, of who I am. But I don't want anybody to have to go through that because it's preventable. Everything that happened to me was preventable. And if I would have taken better care of myself and ate properly, the likelihood of me having a cardiac event would have diminished greatly, and the job loss you know I did some things that probably shouldn't have done um, was it worth getting terminated over I'm not going to debate that it happened so it's, it's just it you know the, and of course you know the car and the house when you don't make payments you know, have a loan agreement there's the agreement you pay we give you something yeah. you don't pay we take back <laughs> right. it, I'm not I've never been upset with with either of those banks and I still bank with one of them, um, and I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't bank with the other one as far as, you know, getting another mortgage uh, with that particular bank because I got better rates somewhere else. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, it I'm not, I don't hold any of those people you know, responsible for what no. happened. It's like, you know, it was me, no. and so giving people permission to be able to take a look at their lives. Establish some boundaries in their lives so they don't set up these situations to potentially happen is the work that that I do now and yeah. it's yeah. it's meaningful work I enjoy it um, I'm you know I empathize with people and the challenges that they're facing you know their workplace burnout's really bad right now because there's so many pressures going on from all kinds of different with arenas and external and internal factors and bad management, and you name it. I mean, we could talk for hours on, on that.
2: Yeah,
1: But at the end true. of the day, it's what can we do to make sure that you are taking care of yourself to the best of your ability so that you have the resilience to be able to navigate around some of these life challenges and also be able to have a fulfilling life. Yeah. because come on, I, I blink, I turn 50. You know, you know, it's been 10 years since my cardiac event. Yeah. And and I think, okay, that's a decade. It is. You know, on on average, we get hmm, seven or eight. Okay. One just, you know, gone. Yeah. Hmm, Okay. And I, here I am at 50. So that means there's been a bunch of other decades that I've just lived through. And you kind of do the math and not to get more of it. I'm going, hmm, I got less left than I've lived. Hmm. All right. What do I want to do about that?
0: Oh, that's an interesting. And it's
1: it's, it, it's, it's, it, it's an alarming way to look at it sometimes for some people. I know it's very uncomfortable, but on on the other hand, it's like, okay, it's your life. Design it the way that you want it to look. It's yeah. your life. You have the keys to this life. It's yours.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you design it.
0: Well, sometimes people defer those keys to just circumstance and don't take charge and take you know the bull by the horns or take the wheel of their lives, so to speak, and uh, and control things. And I, and I want to get into this burnout here in a second, but I just uh, it sounds like you have uh, and we're oversimplifying in the interest of here's a moment's interview of something you went through for over a year's time, but uh, you you went into these healthy patterns. It sounds like you used humor. Uh, You didn't dwell on things too much. You kind of washed your hands of some of it and moved on and released the tension or stress of it all. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with some or all aspects of some of those things. I mean, one thing for me too, I always, I go through things like we all do and and you can look at it. And I think in just about every, including all these circumstances you describe, there's always an element of this could be worse. And if we're realistic, it could be far worse. (laughs) I mean... Uh, we look at some of the things people go through in this world, living in Syria and starvation, all these other things. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's not to make light of what you went through or anyone else is going through, but life can always be far worse. Now you do have your health. So we're grateful as heck for that. Your kids and everybody are, and you're in a, a good place. Sounds like overall, but so it's hard for people to get to that. Um, did you want to comment on any of that before we talk about burnout?
1: No. No, no, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I, I even, you know, like I said, there's, you know, that year was not a lot of fun and it was pretty traumatic and devastating in a variety of different ways. But I'm still alive. I have a place to live. I have a vehicle. Yeah. I have, you know, a way to earn income. Yeah. I'm able to buy things and go on vacations and eat yeah. and do the things I do. And I, in Toronto, like many, Huge cities, and you know, we have a, a significant homeless challenge. Yeah, and I see people all the time that, for whatever reason, and there's multiple reasons why someone could be in a homeless state uh, mental health, money who knows? Uh, it could be a variety of it, and it's pretty much all of those things. Uh, but I'm extremely fortunate, and I don't I don't take that for granted. I'm very thankful for it, and you know, completely understand that, you know, that I could have still never found a job. The heart attack could have um, uh, made me, you know, paralyzed, or who knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, there could have been further losses. Getting a bit out of the car, couldn't have found another job. It could, you know, it, it, it could have been. It could have gone so bad in a lot of different ways. But going through those exercises every after every one of those losses happened. It was a case of, okay, I've been knocked down. Get back up. Okay. Dust yourself off. And what do I need to do next? Right. Be able to improve the situation. I'm not going to be able to say, okay, well, I need, you know, I need a job right now. Okay. Well, how do you get a job? Well, you start looking for jobs. You start applying for jobs. You interview. You do all of these. There's steps you have to take.
0: Take Exactly.
1: And I think oftentimes when we're in this, state of loss and hurt and everything else, we just want the pain to go away, whatever that quote-unquote pain is.
2: yeah.
1: But making those choices, saying, okay, in order for me to deal with this pain, there's things that I need to do in order to alleviate those things. It's not an instant thing. We, Our society, unfortunately, with instant access to everything, sometimes we forget that things take time and effort for them to come to fruition. It's not just a instant thing and it frustrates a lot of people and sometimes can create stress just in the fact that you can't get something instantly.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting
1: dynamic but yeah so you know, and I I agree with you.
0: Well, we so humans are Yeah, no, I we humans are very and kids included, which are also humans, uh are very resilient creatures. Yeah, can can be yeah. <laughs> but can be very resilient creatures and uh, we need to give ourselves more credit take action, look for support where needed. And, um, and, and on this topic of burnout, how do we, first of all, how do, what are some of the hallmarks of what's going on with what you might call burnout? Because we've used this word, you in particular have used this word several times, and uh, it's, it might be a plague in our society, <laughs> people burning out, so to speak. What, what are the hallmarks of this?
1: The thing I see a lot with people, and, and burnout can look different in different people and different. they can have different components of it, but the common things I tend to see most often is, one, uh, they're just, they don't look themselves, they're tired constantly all the time, they're not sleeping well, for one thing, so their sleep is, is rough because, again, with the chronic stress, when you're sleeping, your body is repairing the damage that we do to ourselves on a daily basis. Even if you've got the best life and everything's great, you are still damaging your body every day. So sleep rejuvenates and repairs certain things. If you've done other damage where the damage is a little bit more severe, then your body has more work to do. And if it's doing that, it's not getting the restful sleep that it needs. You just start getting into this rhythm of, great sleep not being available to you because again your body is just constantly in this repair state trying to fix things another area that i see a lot too is the people uh, aren't enjoying the things that they used to enjoy a you know, quick story for me you know during my uh, burnout state that led up to 369 days uh, again i was in the Windsor, Ontario, right across the border from Detroit. And I was a mini season ticket holder for the Detroit Tigers. So I'd go to roughly 27 games a year, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, I did that for a few years prior to the heart attack. And, you know, the first couple of years was great. You know, the first year I went was the year that they lost like 100 and some, I think it was almost 120 games. (laughs) Then the next year they go to the World Series quite the turnaround. Yeah. So needless to say, I'm your, your mini season ticket holder. I got to go to uh, a couple world series games. Cool. That's pretty special. I and mean, there's a ton of people that will never have that opportunity. I'm very thankful that I had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But then as the new job started, in, I started getting into this burned out state. I didn't go to as many games. I stopped going and I'd, I'd be there, but I wasn't there. So my brain was, Working through work and all the other things that was going on, so quit enjoying going to those games, and that is a big warning sign. If there's things that you really enjoy doing and you don't enjoy them anymore, get a look at that and see what's going on here. Um, eating habits, of course, is a big thing too. If if you're spending all of your time eating at your desk and you're not making it home for dinner and you're not eating proper meals and it's, it's harder for I know a lot of people to eat a proper meal because one, it's so much easier just to use your phone and order something in or go pick something up from the drive-thru window or yeah. you know, even the pre, pre-made stuff at the grocery store isn't bad, but it's not the best. Um, and so those are some things that uh, seem to be common. And a, a big telltale sign too is uh, if your relationships are suffering and also Your work is suffering. If you're making more mistakes in your job. And things that didn't used to bug you now bug you big time. You know, those are some warning signs you need to look at and you're going, Okay, why is this bugging me? This used to never bother me at all. Now it is. What what happened? What changed? And oftentimes it's if you're under this constant stress and, and a burnout state, all of these things just Feel like the whole world is collapsing on you and instead of you getting fighting or angry or even abusive oftentimes you just shut down mm. and yeah. you, you basically get numb to the situation and sometimes that can increase consumption of alcohol or drugs or other things too because you, again you're trying to numb the pain and you make the pain go away and and it's I, I, I've seen it a lot with a lot of people and it's like okay let's Let's first and get you back to a core state of normal, and then we can start looking at the reasons why these things happened in the first place.
0: Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting, too, and thank you for all that, that uh, one of the things you talk about in particular is you talk about learning or relearning boundaries, the word boundaries, which I think is a very crucial word in this phrase you talk about in personal and work lives. How do people go about relearning or learning in the first place uh, boundaries and establishing and respecting these boundaries? And let's define what those boundaries are.
1: Yeah, you know, Boundaries is a tough thing for a lot of people, especially if they identify themselves as, and they may not know that they are. Um, it took me a long time to figure this out myself. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of people that have boundaries issues also tend to be what people would describe as people pleasers. Yeah, and you're trying to help everybody out. You see it a lot in the not-for-profit sector. Uh, you see it a lot in the industries where people are in, you know, service and giving. Um, where I'm just going to do this. I'm going to work this extra shift. I'm going to help them out. I'm going to do this. And what's happening is you're, yes, you're you're helping those people, but you're hurting yourself oftentimes in doing this because mm-hmm. if you don't have the boundaries to say no to things then you're just constantly saying yes and you end up saying no to yourself at yeah. that point.
2: Yeah.
1: And, for some, and this is where the challenge comes in a lot is when you start saying no to people that you've always said yes to, um, prepare for uh, some interesting conversations because unless you are being open with them and explaining to them why you're doing this, and you just introduce, well, no, this is a new word, the vocabulary. It's called no."
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, you're
1: you're going to create some interesting dynamics in, in those conversations and potentially hurt feelings and a variety of different things. And again, it depends on who the person is, and it also depends on what they're asking you to do. yeah because oftentimes if it's in an abusive relationship, and you start saying no. That could be really problematic, and again, that's one of those things where you want to navigate that carefully. Right? You can't just you can't just do this one eighty out of you know just out of the blue. It'll throw some people off sometimes, and you got to be careful on that. But boundaries at work and boundaries at home are, are crucial. Where you have to design your life in such a way where you're taking care of yourself first. It's not selfish. You're just making sure you're the best version of you. Because if you are, and you're operating from a full, healthy state, when you do help people out, they're getting a better version of you than they've ever gotten before. And you're able to give to them the things that you want to give them. And if if it's a situation where it's a family member or uh, a friend or co-worker, things like that, that have been, quite frankly, taking advantage of you. Um, again, that's one of those things where in these types of exercises, you have to prepare yourself for, this could change this relationship. And you have to you have to weigh that. And you say, okay, what, what's important to me on this? Um, mm-hmm. But again, you have to make sure you take care of yourself first. Because if you don't, then it's going to continue down the path. And potentially, you could have a lot more problems and more stress and things like that because you're afraid to, you know, hurt somebody's feelings instead of, you know, taking care of yourself first.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think that there's so much depth to that and it's kind of on a case by case, but a lot of us humans have a lot in common too, so I think we can kind of relate. Uh, but I, I just would throw in there that it's it's worth stepping back from our lives for a second, maybe even kind of once a week. A lot of people talk about, oh, Sunday evening, maybe you kind of have an, whether you take 10 minutes or an hour or take time if you're married or whatever, too, to kind of plan your week and look at, are we satisfied in our lives And or me individually? And if not, then you got to dig a little deeper. Why not? And what are these areas, what Stephen Covey might call roles of influence in your life uh, as a parent, as a an employee, you know, as the kid's baseball coach or whatever, all these things that people do with their lives. And prioritize those things. And yes, it's easier said than done. I'm sure. I'm sure some folks might listen and say, "Well, yeah, this all sounds sounds great, but it's hard. Life's tough, and there's only 24 hours in a day, and so on and so on." You you talk a little bit about a, what you call a burnout recovery and prevention advisor. Um, tell mm-hmm. me tell me about what that is, in, in that process.
1: What I do with with people that I help is. Is different than what I've seen done elsewhere. Now, if you Google burnout, uh, you'll get tons and tons and tons and tons of articles. Mm-hmm. And I share a bunch of them and I write a bunch of them. So, um, you know, I'm not being, making fun of them by any stretch. Uh, but there's tons of stuff out there that talk about, you know, what burnout looks like and some things you can do uh, to address it. You know, you take a break, set boundaries, uh, get plenty of sleep, eat better. Uh, and, and these are all true. Uh, these are important, and yeah, they are ingredients in order to address your burnout. But where I go a little bit deeper is to figure out why in the world did you burn out in the first place? Yeah. Okay. You're not you're not sleeping well. Why? You're not eating well. Why? Um, right. What's what's going on in your life right now, and what went on in your life earlier in your life? It may have set the tone for this. You know, my people pleasing uh, diagnosis uh, uh, for myself, you know, that goes back decades because, you know, I saw it in my parents, you know, my mom in particular, because she grew up in a situation where she was very, very strong. Uh, and, you know, the rest of her family, her siblings, and even, you know, my grandparents you know, leaned on her a bit to help out in the house because, you know, they grew up in the 50s and 60s and, you know, both parents worked, lots of kids and and all kinds of different things going on. And she did a lot of work. You know, she, her childhood was doing a lot of work for the family and helping out. And she continued to do that. And, you know, it it took quite the toll on her health. And, you know, even to this day, you know, she's got a lot of health challenges that, uh, easy for me to say now, but I think you know some of them you know, may have been prevented or potentially delayed if she would have been able to you know, take better care of herself you know, back then. So, and I and I looked at it and I'm like, okay, I, I see where I got those character traits from. You know, I, I saw them. You know, I witnessed them and thought those were were normal uh, mm-hmm. and adapted them in, in the way that I went about life. And once I discovered that that was an issue and it wasn't helping me it was actually hurting me and i started establishing boundaries around okay what am i going to do to help what's where's the where's the fine line what's even the point of going on a phone call or meeting with somebody for a coffee meeting or meetings at you know night and conferences and all of these things but now you have to you got going to protect some time here, so you can allow yourself to do the things that are important to you. Spend time with the you know, people you love and do the things that you're accountable for. Mm-hmm. And those those are some of the things I go into. And even you know, once you start figuring, out, okay, you're you're not sleeping well, well. What's your dietary style like? What's your exercise style? What, and, and why you're doing those things? Because it all Believe me, I wish there was one button. I guess, okay, your burnout is caused because of this. And (laughs) here, take this, away you go. It doesn't work. We're we're complex humans, and there's a lot of ingredients that impact us. Now, for some people, you know, they can do some things that would just burn me out, you know, within a week. And they can do it 24-7, 365, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but um, they could do it for an extended period of time, and it doesn't impact them at all. It doesn't even register as being stressful to them.
2: Yeah. It's like,
1: great. You know, We're all wired a little differently when it comes to that. But for me, I go in and go, okay, let's first eliminate this burnout that's going on right now. Okay, now let's look back and see what were the ingredients that led up to it. Let's make some adjustments and how those things are dealt with in the future, so you don't have burnout again. Because I hear time and time again, "Oh, I've been burned out a couple times." Yeah, I was burned out once, and it nearly killed me. <laughs> I'm not going down that road again. No, and I don't want, and I don't want people to go down that road at all. But if they do, then it's like, okay, well let's let's do a U-turn and let's get back to the right road to be on, and let's figure out you know, how to set up your own internal GPS to make sure that you don't go down that
0: road again. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there's, again, there's so much depth to all this individual. I I would, you know, counsel anybody, including myself and you, that we, we're we constantly realizing we're a work in progress and uh, constantly reassessing these priorities and uh, what makes us satisfied. Because you talk a little bit about, uh, in fact, you use the phrase, uh... Are, are you spending all your life working instead of living? And I think that's something worth worth considering. And another thing you talk about, too, is there's some strategies. You talk about four traits that you share kind of to exponentially increase productivity. Can you talk a little bit about what that is?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to
0: remember what those four traits are. And I'll be completely honest with you. I'm oh, right. okay. Well,
1: that's cool. It's uh, I, mean, I guess some I've, evolved, of it's... I've, evolved, I've, I've evolved from them. Uh, a lot and and I think it's probably updated so that's a good reminder for me to update that list Uh, but I think things that you have to do in life, number one is you have to figure out, and you you alluded to this a second ago um, where we are a work in progress we're constantly reinventing ourselves, I'm not the same person today that I was a year ago I'm not Um, and I'm aware of that I think awareness is a big, big thing. It's getting a little bit more self-aware, and that does mean taking time to just kind of reflect. And even an exercise um, that I do uh, a lot is I journal. And I do it uh, because I can look back at things to see how far it's grown, to laugh at things that were bugging me before that I look at now, and I laugh and go, why was that bugging me? That's so minimal in the grand scheme of things. Why was that such an issue for that day. Um, again, um, I say it tongue-in-cheek. I'm, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not judgmental of myself. I don't want people being judgmental of themselves. We do a good enough job of that every day. Uh, we, right. we need to go a little bit easier on ourselves and, and love ourselves as much as we possibly can yep. because we're the ones we spend the most time with. And, yeah. and I think it's important for us to be able to, to do that. But you know, and you'd, like I said, you alluded to it a moment ago, Taking that time to really reflect on where you are in life right now. What are the goals that you want? What what do you want to do with your life? Don't don't go through life on autopilot. Don't delegate your life to something else. Um, Go out and and design your life the way you want to. If you want to go on a trip, you're like, well, I can't afford that trip. Okay, why can't you afford that trip? It'll cost $3,000. Okay, and I don't have $3,000 right now. Okay. (laughs) How, how would it? How long would it take you to save up three thousand dollars? Yeah, just you know, think about it. You know, it's like you know. And one of my first blog posts that I wrote for my website was you know about a twenty dollar bill. So every week, put a twenty dollar bill in an envelope and put it in your closet or wherever. Just every week, just put a twenty dollar bill. In a year, you'll have $1,080. That's a thousand eighty dollars. That's zero percent interest. That's just twenty bucks. Um, for many people, not all, but for many people, I'm fairly confident that they spend more than twenty bucks and six bucks getting their latte and all that stuff in a week. Okay. I'm not telling you not to go get your latte. I'm telling you maybe cut out one of them and take that money and put it in an envelope, and then you do that over a couple of years. Guess what? You've got cash that you can pay for your trip that you wanted to go to. That you said you couldn't afford. Yeah, and and you know that's one of the big things that I've been working with people lately, and you know I'll, I'll share with the audience at the end, you know, where they get a free resource on this. Is it's an exercise I have people do, and I have them take a sheet of paper and draw a vertical line uh, down the middle of mm-hmm. the page, and on the left side of the page, I have them list out everything that they love doing, or love to do, or love to consume, whether it's favorite coffee shop or favorite vacation destination, going to a ball game, going to the movies, having lunch with you know their best friend, whatever. And you know, whatever they they thoroughly enjoy doing. And they just you know, it just makes them feel good when they do it. It could be something simple, it could be something robust. It doesn't matter. But be as complete as possible on this list of all these things that you enjoy doing in life. Yeah. And then after after they do that Then on the right side of those items, on the other side of that vertical line, I I asked them to write down the last time they did it. Mm. And all the time, people look at me. Sometimes they moan. Sometimes they groan. (laughs) Sometimes they put their face in in their hand. Because then they realize, I'm not doing things in my life that I enjoy doing. And I ask them, why? Why? And they say, you know, the typical answer. I don't have the time, and I and I go and I said, you know what? I you know go into stores, I go online, you know, Amazon. I have not found a clock that has the additional time of more than twenty four hours. We all get the same <laughs> clock, and and I look at them and I say, okay, do you have a Netflix account? Yeah. What's your favorite show? And <laughs> I'm you know talking about that. Do you watch like one episode or do you watch a bunch of them in a row? I tend to watch like four or five in a row and they're hour long, give or take. Yeah. So yeah. in a day, you, you got five hours even watching Netflix.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Okay. i not judging. You spend, it's your time. You spend, that might be a bucket list item that you love doing. Awesome. I'm glad you're doing it. But when people say we
0: don't have time, so yeah, you do. Yeah. Well, we all do. I mean, yeah, I mean, you talk about the Netflix thing. I, I remember Brendan Burchard talks about how I think the average American at least spends four hours a day watching TV, which is in the ballpark of what you just said. And you start to add that up over just over the course of a week, that's 28 hours, right? Seven times I'm going mm-hmm. back to school. And, uh, but that's over, that's an, more than an entire day is being spent watching TV. And there's something to be said for, okay, maybe you need to wind down here and there, but do we need four hours in a, in a day or could we, you know, settle for a half hour? Sometimes I sit down, and I'm watching a movie 20 minutes at a time and it takes me a week or two to finish a movie. But it's that wind down time that keeps me a little sane that, okay, I get to let someone else do the thinking for a change, so to speak, on a show or TV. So not bad-mouthing it, but it's a matter of prioritizing. Because I look too, I've listened to and read some books about minimalism, uh mm-hmm. things about simplifying our lives where we start to realize why are we taking on so much stuff? Why do why does why do we have to go get the more expensive car and and home and all these things that end up enslaving us just to be blunt, rather than okay, maybe I could have the 15 year old uh car and a smaller place to live, but then freeing up some more both time, because time is money, and and then also the money to maybe you can then go on those trips a little more often and so on. I mean, there's just so much to be said for all that. And it's all just food for thought for all of us. Cause all of our lives, we have all a lot of the same basic needs. We have to eat and sleep and shower and all these various things and work, but you can customize it to your own, own needs. And just again, food for thought, minimalism, any thoughts on any of that as we, st- we're getting close to wrap up here. Cause I know you got to run, yeah. but yeah.
1: I think I think the minimalism minimalism is a big thing. And I know you had interviewed Greg McCowan not too long ago on essentialism. And I I tend to lean more towards on the back side of things of instead of having, having just, you know, one plate and one set of silverware and things like that, have what's essential for you. And sometimes that might not be clear so it's additional work that, I help people with or, you know, I've got colleagues that, you know, work in the, in the minimized space and the downsizing space and that work on, okay, what, you know, what is this? What's, what's the purpose of this thing? Yeah. But I agree. You know, it's one, and I interviewed somebody on my show the other day, you know, one of the, and it's been going on for years now, one of the largest growing industries in the United States is the self-storage industry. Mm -hmm. Houses. (laughs) can't hold all of our stuff, so we rent <laughs> more storage yeah. for stuff that we just, I'm, I'm going to sound like George Carlin, a place for my stuff, It's we're, there's more places to store stuff that we don't use. Yeah, I live in a condo, and we've got a storage unit, and that storage unit is got stuff in it, but it's for seasonal things that we use you know, throughout the year, but not the whole year. Right, But everything else don't have a lot because don't have the room and I don't want to buy a larger place because it'll just be filled up with stuff that I'm not going to use. So I have things here that I use and there's a period of time every you know, couple of times a year where I go through, I'm like, am I still using this? Yeah. If I'm not, then I'm going to donate it because somebody else could use it.
0: Right. And
1: it, it's just... I get, Again, when you, and this goes to financial burnout. It goes to stress. If your house is cluttered, there's so many different elements to it. But if you have a house that's full of stuff and you can't find anything, then that's stressful and that builds up over time. Uh, if you're tripping over things all the time, or you know, financial burdens, and you're you know up to your eyeballs in credit card debt and your mortgage payment's too high, and you know the job market is Good now, but you know we've all seen it go the other way too, and you're worried about that. And these things all add up because your brain is thinking about it, and your brain has to do something with that. That's right. And oftentimes, it creates a, a, a you know the amygdala starts yelling at you and mm-hmm. get in this fight or fight or freeze or fawn type of situation. And <laughs> again, your when your brain is constantly in that state of being ready for combat. Uh, it's not doing the other things to you know make it easier to see things and have clarity and be relaxed and enjoy life and my mission is to help people kind of calm their brains down a little bit and get back to a, a more uh harmonious state with you know how they want their life to look and yeah. when you can live that way, uh, I tell you what it it makes life so much more fulfilling, and you get to have the freedom and flexibility to do what you want, when you want, where you want, and how you want. And if you have that, that's that's freedom, and that's uh,
0: okay. it's a beautiful thing. It's a, yeah, and I think too about uh, the the principle of delayed gratification. Uh, a lot of folks have commented on this uh, in recent past about kind of one of the common threads of successful, well balanced people is the ability to delay gratification. And that, you know, there's that old marshmallow, uh, study they did with kids of, well, if you eat this marshmallow, then you don't get the second one, but you have to, you know, leave it and not eat it. And then you get another one in, I don't know what it was, 15 minutes or <laughs> whatever the case was. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we all got to kind of consider that aspect too. Uh, and we li- we live in this time where everything's the culture drives us towards fast, fun, and easy, but at the same time. Delayed gratification is the name of the game to get where you need to be and gradually build correctly the life that you want. And sometimes there's sacrifices. Most times there will be sacrifices along the way and the necessity for delayed gratification. Um, And before we wrap up here, because we could probably talk for hours and hours, because this is such a broad topic that goes so deep, too, in people's lives. But is there anything else you want to touch on or, or say to an audience about these things and also where can people find you and and your great work
1: Yeah, i appreciate that i I think the takeaway for anybody is you know if you're constantly stressed and you think you might be burning out um there's there's ways to get out of that and there's ways to get out of it and prevent it from happening again because that's the thing you can you can go on a two week vacation. You can get some rest. You can sleep in a couple of days and maybe change a couple of things and alleviate your current burnout state. But unless you can figure out, you know, what were the triggers that led it to happen in the first place, the, the likelihood of it potentially happening again, uh, it is, this quite possible because I see it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'd much rather you, uh, not burn out ever again and hopefully if you're not burned out yet but you're under a ton of stress you know, figure out ways to to address it and, and get get past it and you know, there's yeah you know, it's where's refining you know breakfast leadership breakfastleadership.com is uh, my my main point i'm on all the social media channels uh, under be fast leadership and i always tell people don't put that on a license plate um, it won't fit for one and police officers do not like seeing the word fast on a plate be um, fast. Apparently. so <laughs> yeah so be yeah, so be fast leadership on, on all the social media channels and my my podcast is uh, called breakfast leadership and you know, I talk about burnout and talk with you know similar awesome guests like your show has as well yeah. um, on a variety of different topics so but yeah the big takeaway is just it's your life, and you got to give yourself permission to live the life the way you want it, because if you live your best life, then the people that you see and help and serve are going to be getting a better version of you, and you're going to be fulfilled and happy and still able to do all the awesome things you want to do in life, and that's how it should be for you.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You summed that up very, very well, and, and also all these great places people can find you, too, uh, with the work you do. And... Real fast before we wrap up, where did we come up with the title "Breakfast Leadership"?
1: Funny story. Um, <laughs> when I first launched the organization, uh, yeah, I was working with mostly C-suite executives and leaders, uh, whether you know upper management or management. And one of the things I discovered in trying to reach a lot of these people is if you get them first thing in the morning before they get to work and get in the trenches of their day-to-day jobs, uh, you have a better opportunity to actually have their attention because once they're in things Mm -hmm. are happening at work, you know, this, this blew up, this, this division sales down 40%, we got to turn it around in six seconds. You know, all the stuff that, you know, these people are asked to do on a daily basis and their attention span to be able to actually do some work on, on their stress is, it's too stressful for me to work on my stress right now. Is actually a quote that I that was told, and I I kind of looked, and after they said it, they kind of realized what they said. I said I will talk to you next week, and you know, continued our work then. But um, <laughs> that's you know, the, you know, the leadership. Thing. So the breakfast thing was saying you know, first thing in the morning. You know, breakfast leadership first you know, first meal of the day. You know, you, you, you kind of sets the foundation for for your day and, and breakfast is, is my favorite meal always has been. <laughs> um, so I, so I thought if I'm going to name a company, I should probably use a name that I like and would remember. Um, and I haven't forgotten it very often because somebody asked me, are you listening to the company again? Uh, and it caught me off guard and i was like, I forgot it for like a brief second and we all laughed about that. I'm like, how did I forget the name of my business? It's like, it's, it's, it's mine. <laughs> I created it. How in the heck did I forget that? Yeah. I like, um, but no, that, that's where the name came from. And it, it's been good. I, I, uh, cause I, I looked at different names and ideas to go about this, but I thought, no, this is a good, good one to do because it, it catches the attention to the start of the day because I, I often feel if you start your day off right, um, it gives you that ability to be able to pivot around the challenges that we're going to face. I, yeah. I, I cannot yeah. promise that you won't face challenges in life. You will. Um, what, no matter as we deal with humans and we deal with computers and traffic and smartphones and you know, all the other fun stuff that we have in our lives, and sometimes these things can be problematic. And if you can deal with them in a level state where you're not aroused because you're stressed or angered or things like that, it's it's easier uh, to get either through them or around them. And uh, starting your day off the right way every day is uh, my mantra for sure.
0: Yeah, I like it. A lot of good food for thought. I like that story. I like breakfast leadership. and in some ways, literally food for thought because it's breakfast leadership. And so so some, uh, some things for all of us to really consider and think about as we, uh, reassess on a regular basis where we're at and where we're headed and, uh, how we can better harness the power in our hands to, uh, to get us there more efficiently and, and with more meaning for us and those around us. So, um, on that note, thank you so much for your time, Michael. And, uh, And again, as usual for our audience, I would say empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.